Welcome to another edition of Heartland History. I'm your host, John Lauk. Our show is produced by Dana Brown. Today we are speaking with Phil Greasley, a Chicago native and longtime professor at the University of Kentucky. Phil earned his Ph.D. at Michigan State University and has become an expert in the area of Midwestern literature. He is the editor most recently of the Dictionary of Midwestern Literature, Volume 2, published by Indiana University Press, just last year in 2016. Welcome to the show, Phil. Well, thank you, John. appreciate your taking the time to talk with me today. Phil, you are the past president of the Society for the Study of Midwestern Literature. Can you describe this organization and its history and tell our listeners a bit more about what it does? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, Society for Study of Midwestern Literature, or more commonly SSML, uh, was the brainchild of David D. Anderson, a distinct university distinguished professor at Michigan State University. The organization began formally having meetings in 1971 and has met annually since that time. Uh, it has a conference each year at Michigan State University in which they focus on literary criticism, creative writing, the Midwest Poetry Festival, film, uh, and other areas. Uh, and uh, there are several hundred members of the organization, and uh, the group always enjoys getting together for um, good times and, and professional advancement. Tell us about David Anderson, who uh, many of us who have attended an SSML conference constantly hear stories about. Well, there, there are many, many stories and, and all very interesting. Uh, David Anderson was my mentor at Michigan State. Uh, he uh, went to school and got out and was in the Second World War. Uh, spent his 21st birthday uh, in Europe uh, as part of a fighting force. He finished uh, his degree, I believe, at Michigan State University and uh, has, has been a driving force for Midwestern literature ever since. In fact, the Dictionary Volume 1 and 2 uh, were spurred on by Dave's uh, interest in having such a volume and his uh, jealousy at some other regions having come up with organizations and produced volumes on Midwest on their own regional literatures. So he's been a, an amazing force. He's uh, kept the society very positive, very encouraging, very supportive of, of members and students aspiring to be uh, faculty members in, in Midwestern literature. And he's just been an amazing person. And Dave died in late 2011. I think I had a telephone conversation with Dave Anderson about two weeks before he passed away. I was not aware of uh, how close to the end it was, of course. Uh, probably nobody was. But I remember uh, Dave talking about 
how he was frustrated when he attempted to put on the program of the Modern Language Association a panel about, I think it was Sherwood Anderson and about Midwestern writing. And there was very little interest by the MLA in such a uh, program. And so he told me he decided that they would he would start his own organization, the Society for the Study of Midwestern Literature. Is that how you remember it? Uh, that was actually a little bit before my time. I became Dave Anderson's student in 1970 or thereabouts, uh, and the events you're describing are somewhat prior to that time. But yes, there was an early feeling that no one would be interested in Midwestern literature, but Dave uh, wrote to a number of influential scholars uh, who had written on on writers from the Midwest and asked if they thought there would be an interest in it and the response was almost universally positive and the group started meeting in 1971 and uh, the membership has been growing ever since. Phil, you mentioned that you worked with uh, David Anderson on your Ph.D. at Michigan State University. Uh, As I understand it, as I recall, uh, your dissertation was about the Chicago Renaissance. Can you just... That's correct. And uh, Dave Anderson, from those earliest days, was uh, opening doors for me and uh, making things possible. He introduced me to Sherwood Anderson's wife, who was still alive at that time, and I became kind of her contact person in East Lansing uh, for some time after that, uh, and uh, invited me to Sherwood Anderson's home, Ripchen, and uh, it just was an incredible experience. And yes, my dissertation was on the, uh, the writers of the Chicago Renaissance. Can you tell us what uh, Sherwood Anderson's uh, widow was like? Well, uh, she was up in years, and and Sherwood Anderson was married four times. Uh, This was his last wife, and uh, she was a very interesting person uh, involved in everything around her, very supportive of her husband, who died in 1940. And, uh, gee, I don't know what to, what to say. It's so, uh, such a broad field. Uh, but Eleanor Anderson was uh, an amazing woman, and uh, Dave Anderson knew her and knew everybody in the field of Midwestern literature, and uh, he opened doors for everybody. I uh, was recently, or I guess it was about a year ago, I interviewed Garrison Keeler, and uh, the topic of Sherwood Anderson came up, and he went on an aside about uh, how much he disliked uh, Winesburg, Ohio, the famous book, I suppose, that put Sherwood Anderson on the map. Could you tell us about how you think that book has stood the test of time and whether it's uh, well-known today and if it's still read at all? I think it's definitely stood the test of time and it's it's significantly read uh, these days. I'm a little surprised Garrison Keillor didn't didn't like it. Uh, It's clearly a work of psychological realism and Sherwood Anderson was not a writer of 
novel length uh, stories and in fact Sherwood Anderson interweaves a number of characters each with interrelated short stories which form a novel of sorts and uh, the, the real element that's central to it is uh, focusing on uh, life as seen in the mind of each of these characters and uh, I, I would vote against Garrison Keeler and with Sherwood Anderson in that regard every day. <laughs> um, I uh, you previously mentioned the Chicago Renaissance. For the uninitiated among our audience, can you tell us what exactly was the Chicago Renaissance? The Chicago Renaissance grew out of Chicago's rising social, economic, cultural, literary, uh, what would you call it? It, it rising uh, standards and achievements. Uh, there were multiple generations of the Chicago Renaissance. The early generation was, uh, earliest generation was uh, very elite, tended to have a good bit of money, uh, upper class associated with uh, the East, and they tended to write a lot of uh, things in all genres that were uh, imitative of Eastern uh, liter literature and literary works. Uh, the second generation, Bernard Duffy in his book, uh, the, uh, gosh, <laughs> in his book, The Chicago Renaissance uh, in, uh, in American Letters, he called it the liberation, and these were largely working class people, people like Dreiser and Sandberg and others who uh, had seen life on the bottom, they reacted against the genteel standards of the first generation and uh, used blunt literature and talked about things that had not been covered in literature before. They went beyond the taboos. Uh, later on in literature, there was the, the Black Chicago Renaissance with, with uh, s stories like uh, Native Son, uh, Gwendolyn Brooks works and so on that again followed the liberation effort and uh, wrote about people on the bottom of society often often black Phil you um, you grew up in Chicago you grew up in Norwood Park um, did that influence your decision to study the Chicago Renaissance or did that have something to do with uh, uh, your choice of a dissertation? Uh, I'm sure it did lead me to study the Chicago Renaissance. Living in Chicago and being very much a part of the city, uh, you would see monuments and things associated with the literature of the city uh, from all periods of time. It was, it was very easy to get interested. I've noticed... Probably the, probably the first thing uh, that struck me was uh, Carl Sandburg's Chicago poems, Hog Butcher to the World, and so on. He, uh, he provided a new language, a new view of the city, a new perspective that uh, was revolutionary at the time. One of the books that's getting a lot of attention in recent months um, relating to Chicago is the new biography of Nelson Algren. Have you had a chance to look at that, and do you remember much about Nelson Algren and his legacy in Chicago? Uh, 
Well, Nelson, I, I have not read the book yet. I apologize for that, but uh, he was an important figure, and he, like like several others in the Chicago Renaissance, were uh, he was uh, against the dominant uh, elite perspectives, and he showed stories of people on the bottom, and he uh, called names and uh, was very strong in his writing. Today we're talking with Phil Greasley. He is a retired professor of English at the University of Kentucky. He's a Chicago native. He is the editor, most recently, of the Dictionary of Midwestern Literature, Volume 2, and he is also a past president of the Society for the Study of Midwestern Literature. Uh, Phil, let's now talk about the uh, two uh, major dictionaries that have been uh, organized and written mostly by members of the Society for the Study of Midwestern Literature, and that is the Dictionary of Midwestern Literature, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Tell us about the backstory of these dictionaries and how they came together and what was the process for writing them. Well, uh, the back story was uh, some of the other regional literary organizations had formed and produced uh, volumes relating to the literature of those regions, uh, and Dave Anderson felt that Midwestern literature should clearly do the same thing, and so we started into it. Uh, there was a long process of sorting out, if you look at the writers of any given Midwestern state or any other state for that matter, you probably find the number of, of writers tracked by the, the uh, state literary organizations to be in the neighborhood of perhaps two or 3,000 writers. So clearly this was too much to handle when you've got 12 Midwestern states. But uh, we got a group of interested people and started winnowing down uh, the topics and uh, ultimately, Volume 1, uh, the authors covered about 400 Midwestern authors from the advent of widespread uh, European settlement in the region to the present. Uh, and then having done that volume, we went to what is essentially the non-author entries, the pivotal Midwestern literary works, the most important uh, uh, population groups that are writing uh, just a whole range of topics that we covered uh, and so in the second volume these non-author entries we've got approximately 130 entries written by something over 90 contributors when did the process of putting together volume one of the dictionary begin it probably started about 1990 or 91, and the volume was ultimately published in 2001. Who um, who published the book, and how were they to work with? Uh, Indiana University Press published the book in 2001, as I said, uh, and they were very helpful to us, and they had a number of ideas, and they produced... Uh, a good layout, and, and they're very helpful throughout. Would you say, Phil, that there are a lot of universities in the region uh, who offer 
courses in Midwestern literature? Yes, uh, Midwestern, well, regional literature more, more generally has come into vogue let's say since the 1970s. And so uh, I think it's relatively common, at least for schools uh, in the Midwest, to offer courses in Midwestern literature. How does uh, Midwestern literature as a field of study compare uh, to, say, Southern literature or um, literatures associated with other regions in the United States and around the globe? literature of the U.S. is Southern literature. It's gotten a great deal of press and the uniqueness of the region has produced lots and lots of works on it. But if you look at the quantity and quality of writers coming out of the Midwest, they're very, very strong. And uh, if you look at uh, Nobel Prize winners, uh, the Midwest has, uh, depending on how you count them, half or more than half uh, the writers to have gotten a Nobel Prize in Literature from the U.S., uh, a number of Pulitzer Prize winners, a number of uh, award winners in all areas. So it's it's uh, strong writing, it's very positive, it uh, deals with the experience of the region. I know that you are a defender and an advocate of uh, Sherwood Anderson, Phil, but are there other writers uh, from the Midwest based on all of the work that you put into these two massive volumes studying Midwestern literature. Are there other writers that stand out for you that that are particularly strong voices of the region and people who should be remembered? And for people who are unfamiliar uh, with Midwestern literature as a field of study, who should they seek out? Who should they uh, read to get a better sense of the literature of the region? Well, um, the place to start, uh, as pointed out by Ernest Hemingway, was American literature starts with a book called Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Uh, so that's a wonderful starting point. A look at the region from the region rather than from from the values and orientations of the East or somewhere else. Uh, there are many, many great writers from the Midwest. Ernest Hemingway, since I've already mentioned him, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Sherwood Anderson, Gwendolyn Brooks, Edna Ferber. There are literally hundreds of them to, to talk about. But the voices are strong. They come from many very different uh, groups and backgrounds. Uh, uh, the, the second volume of the Dictionary of Midwestern Literature uh, focuses on getting around the mistaken view that Midwestern literature is all about uh, white male writers. And in fact, uh, there are entries in the, the second volume on the literature of many, many population groups from African Americans to Arab Americans, Asian Americans, feminists, Jewish writers, Latino, Latina writers, LGBT writers, Native American writers, Scandinavian writers, and so on. And there is just so much abundance of writers from different perspectives, different orientations, different social and economic and ethnic groups. Uh, it's a very rich 
We recently had on our show Larry Lockridge, a professor of English at New York University in Manhattan, whose father wrote a very famous, at the time, novel about the Midwest called Rain Tree County. And Larry Larry, uh, Lockridge uh, made the point that uh, his father, who unfortunately, very soon after completing that novel and having it published, uh, committed suicide uh, down in Bloomington, Indiana. But Larry Lockridge, his son, uh, made the point that Indiana, for example, just to take one example of the Midwestern states, has a very deep and rich history of, uh, of literature. And the golden age of Indiana literature is something that people forget about that produced people like uh, Lou Wallace, for example, the author of Ben-Hur. So I hope uh, and I know that your dictionary touches on a lot of those forgotten fields of study. Well, we, we, we try to cover those and let's before we leave Ross Lockridge Jr., uh, in fact, Larry Lockridge wrote the entry on Rain Tree County, and it's wonderful. It's only a son could tell the story. Uh, and Indiana literature, more broadly, going to your larger point, has a great uh, tradition in, in literature and has been a very strong state producing literature. You know, whether you're looking at Kurt Vonnegut or or many, many, many other writers. But uh, one of the things the second volume of the Dictionary of Midwestern Literature does is to provide an extended entry, typically 40 to 60 pages, on the literatures of each of the Midwestern states, Indiana included. Those are very rich entries, and they describe the specific natures of the literature, the major writers, the most important works, as well as the leading criticism on it. The dictionary is indeed a very valuable resource uh, for all of our listeners who are in Midwestern states. Uh, Be sure to check out the sections about your state and to uh, read the... um, the entries about some of the major writers from your state. Today at Heartland History, we have been talking to Phil Greasley, a retired professor of English from the University of Kentucky, a Chicagoan who most recently has edited the very large doorstopper of a book, the Dictionary of uh, Midwestern Literature, Volume 2. Phil, I want to thank you for joining us today from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I want to thank you on the behalf of on behalf of lots of Midwesterners for all the work that you've put into this volume. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate your your time and interest in our in our work. <laughs> thank you again, Phil. Uh, I am John Lauk, the host of Heartland History. Uh, our show is produced by Dana Brown. Please listen again here for future episodes in upcoming weeks. Thank you again for tuning in to Heartland History. If you would like more information about the Midwestern History Association, visit us at MidwesternHistory.com. You'll have access to information about memberships, 
news about upcoming conferences, calls for papers, and panel proposals related to Midwestern history. You might also be interested in subscribing to the print journal Middle West Review or reading our online journal Studies in Midwestern History. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and you can find us on Facebook. Until next time.